Good to see you. Good to have you here uh, again as we continue our I Am sermon series uh, at all of Hope's campuses. We are so glad that you are here today. Let me just say that. We pray that you feel loved and welcomed in this place, uh, whether it's your first time here today, welcome, or your hundredth time here. You've been coming here for as long as you can remember. We come as we are to Hope, no matter what's going on in our lives, whether we're celebrating today or whether you're a Cyclone fan today and you're in a state of mourning today, if you have been watching these basketball games, it's hard. I know. I stayed up way too late last night watching the game, and I'm like, I'm a Hawkeye fan. Why am I doing this? Why am I watching this? But it was an incredible game, heart-wrenching game to come all the way back and fall short. But I know that you're all here celebrating the big basketball win in our state this week, and that is Iowa's NIT tournament win over South Dakota. kind of knew that that would happen too, but whether, whether you care about sports or whether you care about basketball or not, we are here today for something way more important than that, and it's that last I am statement that Jesus makes that is going to last longer and stand the test of time way longer than any college basketball player that we celebrate as we sort of spend these few weeks worshiping these 19 and 20-year-old college basketball players, uh, that we got to think bigger than that of what Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life preparing ourselves for Easter coming here in a few weeks, believe it or not. But if you need a refresher, uh, if you need a reminder, we're in this series in the Gospel of John looking at these six statements that Jesus makes about his identity, saying, I am, and we've been walking through these. And as we dig into chapter 10 today in the Gospel of John and continue these statements, I want to start by asking us a question to sort of set the stage forward and to get your mind thinking a little bit. If somebody came up to you, if I just threw this question out to you today, how would you respond? You don't have to respond out loud, but just in your own mind, think, how would you describe the abundant life? How would you describe abundant life? What makes life full? What makes life rich and satisfying? If you were looking back on your life and reflecting back on your life many years from now, how would you be able to say whether you had a rich, full, satisfying life or not? How do you know if you're on that path to rich or satisfying life? How do you know what that is? It might be helpful if we had some perspective for that. I'm always interested in reading these different articles and, and blogs and things like that, and it turns out there's a, an article on something I've read before, but on kind of a, a study on end of life. When people are in the final stages of their life, there's a lady that actually wrote a book about this, uh, about uh, questions that people are asking And actually, she asked a very specific question of people that are in their 90s. She's a hospice nurse. And so spending a lot of time with people at the end of their life, being very nostalgic and reflective with their families, looking back on what matters most. And she wrote a book based on one question and then summarizes the top 25 responses to this question she's asking people that have lived a long life in their 90s. She asked, if you could do your life over again, what would you do differently? If you could do your life over again, what would you do differently? She's asking this to this group of people that are in, well into their 90s. And the first way that these, the, the elderly responded was, what? I just... Okay, that's not... Last service didn't get that joke. You got that joke. So thank you uh, for that. I appreciate that. No, they, she took the top... 25 responses and wrote this book. I'm going to give you the top three. So this is the top of the top, the cream of the crop. So the first thing you can think about what you thought 
you would say or what they uh, said, but their, their first response was this. Interestingly enough, they said, I would risk more. I would take more risks. Not like crazy, stupid risks, like, oh, I'm going to run across the interstate and see if I get hit or jump off a cliff or something like that. They're talking, it was actually in the book, the context was in taking more risks, meaning I would care less about what everybody else thought. But we spend so much time comparing ourselves to those around us instead of listening to, they don't say this, it's a secular book, but God the one that created you. So I would, I would take more chances. I would seize more opportunities for adventure and not care so much about what people think. That was number one. The second big theme that she identified from all these hundreds of responses were that they would do differently if they could do life all over again. Interestingly, they said, I would reflect more. I would reflect more. And literally, in the book, it was in the context of because life was so busy. <laughs> and think about it. These are people that are in their 90s, which means that they grew up not in the technological age, in the information age, okay? So these are people that thought that life was busy back then. Can you imagine what life is, when you're 90 and you're getting asked this question, is life a little bit too busy for you as well? And so they said, I would have taken more time to breathe it in. I would mark more moments and I would have stopped and considered what really matters rather than just going through the motions day to day. Some good, good perspective here for us. And finally, the third thing, the third major theme that she boiled it all down to. Remember, this is a non-faith-based book. This is a secular book. <laughs> the third thing people said is, I would spend more time on things that somehow live on after I died, after I was gone. This is a non-Christian book. I would have, dare I say, there's a word for that, and it's called eternity. It's called living for things that matter. And so you can boil all this down, and the question that they're essentially asking was, do you feel like you have lived an abundant life? Because if you have, then you wouldn't have these regrets. There wouldn't be things you wish you would have done differently. So what is it that truly matters? You'll notice what's not on the list. I wish I would have spent more hours at the work, at workplace. I wish I would have, you know, stayed a little bit later at work. I wish I would have spent a little bit less time with my family and more time at work. I wish I would have had a bigger house. I wish I would have had a different car. I wish I would have got those home projects done. That would have really made it, you know. Some of you are thinking that there's this carrot that's dangling out in front of you that if you just get things in order in your life, then you're going to be happy. And you're, you're thinking it's out there when really your dissatisfaction's in here. And you've got to turn inside and look, notice there was nothing about working longer hours or comparing yourself to others or having a bigger house or a newer car. The abundant life was found in things that money can't buy. And yet we spend so many of our days pursuing things that are never going to last. So heed the advice of these folks, and it begs the question, so what does it mean to find that abundant life? If that's what we desire, if that's what we long for, how do we get there? And I'll tell you what all these things, what they're grasping for, they're grasping for eternity. They're grasping for eternity. You know when you go on a great vacation and you say, oh, I don't want it to end. Or you have a very dear friend come and visit you and then they finally have to leave and you say, I don't want them to go. Do you know what that's a longing, a craving for? Eternity, when there'll be no more goodbyes. And it won't be, oh, there's only one hour left. 
the longing that you have for things that you love not to end is for eternity. But I want you to hear something this morning. When Jesus speaks of eternity or receiving or inheriting eternal life in the Gospels, it's not primarily just a duration of time. The Greek verb here doesn't translate perfectly into the English. The Greek verb here is a verb that means now, like present tense verb, and ongoing, meaning you can enter into eternal life now. It's not just someday off in the clouds. It's now and later. And so when Jesus says life or eternal life that he's inviting us into, it starts now and you can have that life. So how do we find that life? If there's you and this is who you are in your life today, and this is the ideal picture of an abundant life that you desire, how do we get from here to there? Well, the world has no shortage of answers So thank God Jesus steps in into the middle of that question and he says this in our scripture reading today. Let's read it nice and loud from John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Well, thank God that Jesus is offering that, but I want to ask you this question. When you think about the offer of Christianity, the primary offer of what Jesus is giving to us in the Gospels, is it when, when, I, when I introduce Jesus to people or you go share your faith with a coworker or invite your neighbor to church, do they say, oh, great, I have been just so waiting for somebody to ask me because Jesus is where it's at in the rich and satisfying life. I repent of all my sins and I'll see you at church next week. That's not the response that you normally get? I don't either. You know why? Because people are so confused about what the offer of Jesus is is that buried under years of dead, boring, lifeless religion and judgment and anger and hatred and people thinking it's all about being a hypocrite and being judged and all these things, underneath, buried all all those layers is the treasure of the gospel. And Jesus says, I want you to hear it loud and clear. I did not come to steal, to take life from you. My offer is life, joy, freedom, what your heart craves for in those moments when you're quiet and you're alone and you finally lay your head down on your pillow at the end of the day and and you just listen and you think to yourself, oh, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than what I'm experiencing right now. And there is, and Jesus is offering that to you, to experience the life that you know that you want. Oh, you're saying, oh, the offer of Christianity isn't just Jesus didn't come to make us good, nice, moral, church-going people that pray a little bit more and drink and swear a little bit less? No! That's not why he went to the cross for you. The offer is life. And so the question is, how do we get there? How do we find that abundant life? Well, Jesus in our scripture today gives us this beautiful analogy of how to get and find that abundant life by using this illustration of something that I know that you and I are all familiar with and are experts in, and that is sheep herding. No? Okay, so then we all need to learn together. So open your Bibles to John chapter 10, and that's where we're going to be primarily today. John chapter 10, and we're actually going to start in verse 7. John chapter 10, verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep, sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. They will find what they're looking for, they'll find life. 
So Jesus is using this analogy, but it's important to know this is, as you can guess, is way bigger than sheep and shepherd. Jesus is speaking this in the context, is speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the religious leaders of the day who, just a few chapters ago, and especially the chapter before in verse 9, are acting not like good shepherds. They're not being good leaders because instead of leading those that God has put around them, they're laying on more guilt, more laws, more judgment, more criticism, more empty religion. And so it's hitting the nail on the head here that Jesus would use the analogy of good and bad leadership a chapter after the religious leaders of the day are being terrible leaders. Jesus isn't afraid to pick a fight. Okay? That's the kind of shepherd Jesus is. So he's using this analogy of a shepherd and a sheep, but he's making a pretty harsh criticism about these leaders. And in doing so, he's setting up a comparison between Jesus himself as the good shepherd and the thieves or the robbers or the strangers or the imposters that call out to us claiming that they know the way to this life that we're looking for. So Jesus is setting up this compare and this contrast. I, I read a little bit about sheep this week uh, in my extensive sheep research uh, this week. Sheep! Uh, and one of the things that I learned about sheep, uh, among many things, is a lot of pastors would stay, stand up and give this sermon about John 10 and say, you know what? Sheep are, dare I say, dumb animals, but I want, you to, I want you to know this. I don't think it's so much that sheep are dumb. I think it's that they're just really lost without a good shepherd. This passage is not about the dumbness of sheep. This passage is about the goodness of the shepherd. And I want to focus in on that today. To give you an example, you may or may not know this, whether you grew up in the country uh, or not, uh, but sheep, when they're led to green pastures, you know in Psalm 23, he lead me besides green meadows, green pastures, besides still waters, right? So shepherds lead their sheep to green pastures, and what sheep do is they just eat everything in that little area where they've been told to go. And they eat and eat and eat till it's gone, and then they would starve. They would literally wander around in circles, not knowing where to eat because this is where the shepherd told me to go, and I'm lost without him. Even though there are green pastures five feet that way, they won't go there because the shepherd didn't tell me to go there. And so one article I read, meaning they'll even start eating each other's poo because there's nothing else to eat, and they're not the smartest animals in the world. They really need a shepherd to say, hey, guys, there's green pastures, there's life, like, right over there. Oh, okay, bah, bah. You know, and then they go over there, oh, you know, like, thank you, Jesus, you know, whatever they're saying. We need a good shepherd. We need, without a good shepherd, we're lost. So in our move from here to there to find that abundant life, we can use the good shepherd as a guide or we can follow the guides of this world. So I'm going to draw up three analogies for you this morning between what it looks like to follow the good shepherd or to follow the guides of this world, which there are plenty of. And so we're going to draw up three distinctions. Hopefully everybody can see that a little bit, but we'll have it up on the screen as well. The first distinction that I want to draw up for you is who are you listening to? How do you know if you're following the good shepherd or how do you know if you're following the guides of the world? So back to the story, back to verse 3 at the beginning of chapter 10. Jesus says this, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep, what do they do? They listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his, what? His voice. 
his voice. So Jesus is making it very clear that sheep know their shepherd. And for us, what that means is that we learn to know God's voice if we're going to follow the shepherd and find that abundant life. And I saw some videos this week as well where they did one example here. There were their sheep grazing uh, kind of in a meadow in, in a green area. And what they did is they did a test where they had five or six imposter, like fake shepherds, come and try to call the sheep by name. And, do, and the key was they did the exact same sheep call, and then at the end they brought out the actual shepherds. So they, they, people come out and do the sheep call, or what, you know, hey, whatever, I don't know, what, what, how do you call a sheep? Hey, sheep, sheep, right, whatever, you make up your own sheep call, okay? So for this morning we'll say, hey, sheep, okay? So they did that, and they had these people come out and go, hey, sheep, hey, sheep, hey, sheep. Okay, let's say that's it, that's what they're used to. Okay, that's the call, didn't move. That's, that's their call. Hey, sheep, hey, sheep, didn't call. Bring out the next person. Hey, sheep, hey, sheep, didn't move, didn't move, didn't move. Five or six imposter fake shepherds that were not the shepherd's voice, and then at the end, they brought out their actual shepherd, did the exact same thing and said, hey, sheep, hey, sheep, hey, sheep. Within 10 seconds, they were all at his side. Why? Because sheep know their shepherd's voice. Jesus says, as so with you. This isn't some like weird thing for like spooky extra spiritual Christians that hear voices and hear God's voice and things like that. Okay? This isn't for only those super spiritual sheep that go to worship every single weekend. This is for everybody. That one of the fundamental building blocks of what it means to be a Christian, which I'm guessing is is why you're here, is because you want to learn to follow the shepherd. You want to learn to follow Jesus. One of the fundamental building blocks of that relationship is that you have a conversational intimacy with God daily. As Jed was saying this morning, not once a week on Sunday morning, daily, that you learn to hear God's voice and that we're responding every single day. Now, some people will push back and say, John, can you, can you really hear God's voice? I mean, isn't that just something that used to happen in the Bible and kind of happens in those weird Bible stories? You know, Moses, you know, I, I don't hear God's voice on the interstate or driving in my car in the morning. I, I, don't, I don't hear that. I just want to push back on that and say, that book that you hold in front of you this morning, why would God give us an entire Bible full of examples of him having conversation with ordinary people like you and I, if we're the exception. The Bible is not primarily a book of exceptions. It's a book of examples of what it means to have a daily conversation with God, to talk to him and to listen to him back and forth. That's one pushback that people had, and I want to say it happens. I talked to him this morning. And it wasn't weird. In fact, when you learn to hear God's voice, it ends up kind of sounding very, very natural. Almost like you. That that spirit connects with your spirit. And it's the most normal thing in the world when you start to learn to hear God's voice. The other thing I'll hear people push back and say, well, see, John, that's the thing, is how do you know if God's speaking to you? There's some things in my life today that I would really like to hear God's voice. I, would re- I really want to know, uh, you know who I'm supposed to marry and what job I'm supposed to take and I'm supposed to apply for grad school and, all, and where I'm supposed to live and all these things. I would really love to hear God's voice, but how do I know if it's him or if it's me or as Pastor Richard likes to say, if it's last night's pizza coming up and I'm just kind of a little weird and you know things got a little weird. 
I, there could be an entire sermon on that, but I want to give you just three quick things if you're keeping notes or keeping score at home. Three things to learn how to hear the shepherd's voice. Number one, get alone with this book. I just want to challenge you this morning. <laughs> some, people, some of you are like saying, oh, he just got an extra bonus in his paycheck because when pastors say to read your Bible, then that's a really good thing because that's what you're supposed to say because you're a pastor. I, I just want to challenge you. When's the last time you read the Bible? That's a very odd thing, I know, to say in church, but we talk about reading the Bible a lot, and we quote verses, and we post little things of them on our Facebook pages. When's the last time you spent 10 minutes and got still with this book? I dare you. Take five minutes this week, every day, and read the Bible and see what happens. And the reason that we do that is because when we read the Bible, we're not just reading old stories. The Bible is a living and active word of God, meaning it speaks today. And when we read this, we get to know God's voice. Because here's the thing. How are we going to know what God wants to say to us today if we haven't taken the time to know what he said to us in the past? This is an entire book of God speaking to you and wants to communicate with you. It's like the people that you know the best, you know their voice. When I call my wife on the phone, she doesn't say, hi, uh, Jonathan, this is Tiffany. I'm your wife. Whereas if I didn't know, they would need to tell me who it is, right? This is Bob calling from the hardware store. Oh, hi, Bob from the hardware store. And with Tiffany, she just says, hey. And I say, hey. Why? Because we talk to each other multiple times throughout the day. The same with God. And you get to know his character, and so you know how God would respond when you ask him a question. So number one, get alone with this book to hear God's voice. Number two, turn down the noise in your life. So many of us don't realize it, but our lives are constantly filled with clutter. Not just audible, but just stuff, clutter, noise between our phones, our iPads, our TVs, our radios in our car, and just people around us. When's the last time you had five seconds of quiet? The next time you're in your car, Turn off the radio and listen. There's so much noise. If God wanted to say something to you in the middle of your day, is your life too loud to hear it? God is always wanting to talk to you. And that leads to the third thing. So get alone with this book. Number two, turn down the noise. And number three, the best advice I can give you is start small. Some people, when they say, oh, I'm going to learn to hear God's voice, I can just pray to him and ask him and he'll tell me. Well, God's not a vending machine. He's a being. He's a person. He wants a relationship with you. And so some people will say, oh, man, I got to hear God's voice. So, you know, I saw this really cute guy at church today. God, should I marry him? You know, we just start like really big. Or should, I think I should quit my job and move to Alaska or something. You know, whatever it is. We start with these really big, lofty things. And God's like, hey, let's talk about today. Let's talk about this morning and maybe start small and when you get up in the morning, just say, hey God, what do you have for me today? And just sit with that for a moment and listen and learn to hear the gentle whisper that is God speaking. God speaks in all different ways or just say, hey God, I, <laughs> I need help with my marriage. When, when's the last time you asked God for advice about your marriage? When's the last time you prayed for your spouse? When's the last time you're struggling with your budget, you're sitting down as a family and you're struggling with your budget and you just invited God right into the middle of your budget planning? Yeah, he cares about that too. He's not too busy for you. 
When's the last time you invited, you're, you're struggling with how to discipline as a parent one of your children, no matter what age they are, and how to be a good parent? When's the last time you just asked God, God, do you have a word for me on that? God, how do I love my kids well? When's the last time you just invited him into those everyday things? The people that I find that connect with God the best in prayer, a lot of times for us, I think it's like 90-10, like we think we do 90% of the talking in prayer, and then we kind of listen maybe 10% to see if God has something to say, but really, God, I got a lot to tell you. God's like, do you want to hear what I have to say? Instead, for those people that really get the most out of prayer, I feel like it's 10-90, maybe 10% talking and 90% listening. Why? Because they are desperate for the voice of God. And they've come to a place in their life, and I often forget this. I get there, and then I forget this. And I fall off the wagon a little bit, and I forget how good it is and how sweet it is to have intimacy with God. I can't, I am desperate for God to be a good parent. I am desperate for God to be a man of integrity at work. I am desperate for God to be a good friend, to to, to not get stressed out about things at work all the time. I am desperate for God every single day. And so hearing from God becomes less of this weird, spooky thing, and it becomes more about like a lifeline for everyday living. I was thinking about it this week. Think of all these I am statements that Jesus makes about the kind of, he's saying, Christian follower, sheep, Sheep, this is the kind of relationship that I want to have with you. Think about it, okay? He says, I am the bread of life, okay? If bread was all you had to eat, would you eat it? Absolutely. You don't take a couple days off from eating if you have food. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm your daily nourishment. He says, I'm the, I'm the vine, I'm the trunk of the tree, and you're like the branches. Branches don't say, I'm going to take a couple weeks off from being connected to the vine. I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. I think I'll be fine without being connected to the trunk. No, Jesus says, you're connected. It's your lifeline. Daily, you've got to stay connected to the vine. And then he says, as a sheep without a shepherd, you are lost if you don't stay right next to me every single day. This isn't an hour a week on Sunday morning, folks. Jesus would have said, hey, come to church for an hour a week if he would have meant that. Instead, he said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know me. They know my voice and I'm inviting you to do that every single day. You can't find the abundant life apart from the shepherd. If you had the opportunity to talk with the most powerful, wise, generous, gentle, all-knowing, loving being in the universe, would you do it? And yet we take it for granted that we can talk to him anytime, anywhere. Now, I know I razz on the cyclone sometimes, and it was an incredible game, and my heart was pounding last night. But here is proof that even God communicates, and even people that are far from God, even the cyclones, can pray. Have you heard of Coach Prome? Have you heard of this team called the Cyclones, or am I just blowing smoke up here? Okay, so you've heard of the Cyclones. So here's Coach Prome. I love him. He's a great Christian guy. He spoke at the Hope Leadership Conference this past fall. Um, at Hope. And one of the things I love about Coach Prome is one of the initial interviews that he gave, he was unashamedly sharing his faith and, and, and what he was about. And he gave this interview where he talked about his coaching and his leadership style. And one of the things that he mentioned that he does before most practices and before most games, I don't know if he did it before last night's big game, but he said he, he does this. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is a direct quote of what he says, speaking about his players. I will ask them if they have any prayer requests, and then we will talk to God. At a Division I basketball game? 
He said, it's not something you're beating over their head. You want to give them a foundation. So when they leave Ames, it's not foreign to them when they raise their kids or have a wife that they have a strong foundation and a strong faith. You got to understand that the picture of the abundant life for those guys right now is making it to the NBA. If I can just make it professionally in basketball, because life is all about basketball, and we worship these 20-year-old college players on our television sets to realize that in a couple years, they're going to be sitting there, 10 years from now, Coach Prom knows, they're going to be, <coughs> excuse me, looking back on their lives going, oh my word, I am so glad that when I was in college, I, I learned how to have a strong foundation in my pray- faith, because I got to learn how to be a godly husband. I got to learn how to be a man of integrity i got to learn how to pray for my kids and love my kids. I'm so glad that Coach Prohm taught us how to listen and talk to God. And those things are going to far outweigh any basketball career. These are things that are lasting, like having a relationship with the God that created you. So if the Cyclones can pray to God and he listens, anybody can pray to God, folks. I'm just kidding. Thank God for Coach Prohm. And when we learn to hear God's voice, we can distinguish it from all the other voices that are out there, and you know what they are. There are voices in television and in movies and in culture and in media and people around you and in blogs and articles. And here's something that'll blow your mind that I just kind of discovered this week. Do you know that not everything that you read on Facebook is true? Yeah. Turns out there's a lot of opinions out there. And my question for you this morning is whether it's with your marriage, your parenting, your finances, your friendships, your work, go down the list. How often do you spend in your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed or on Instagram or reading the latest blog? And how much time do you spend asking the God that made you? God, what do you have for me today? I'm I'm desperate to hear your voice. Because so often we think that the good life, the abundant life is found not where God says it is, but somewhere else. Not inside God's boundaries and his fences and his gate, as he gives this analogy with the shepherd and the sheep, but somewhere else. And we think, oh God, I'm pretty good. I don't need to hear your voice. I'll just kind of do my own thing and go along with what seems to be popular, everybody else is doing, and what the good life seems to be. And maybe the abundant life is found somewhere else. I got to picture of this. I got to tell you this. It was a couple years ago. I remember this time distinctly. Our son Caleb was, it was four, almost four now, but he was uh, two. And one of the things I would love to do in terms of him running away and thinking about this is he would love to go to uh, a fun place. That's how we kind of introduced. So I'd pick him up from daycare and I'd say, hey buddy, do you want to go to a fun place? And he'd go, yeah. And what he means by that is that we're either going to the mall to the, to the play place, uh, or we're going to a park, any park, anywhere. Could be here or in a different country, they're all the same to him. Uh, so this day, the fun place we're going to is the play place at the mall. So we get to the mall, and we go there, and he knows it. He can see it, spots it far off, like 50 feet off in the distance. He rips off his winter coat and his hat and his gloves, and he throws them down at the ground, looks at the play place, and goes, wow, and just runs into the play place and takes off, and I got to go and chase him down and take his shoes off and hose him down with sanitizer because it's germ fest. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? And so he's there. He's having a great old time playing within the fun place, within the boundaries of where I told him to play. And for three or four minutes, which is good for him, that's his attention span, we're good. And then off in the aisle at some kiosk, he spots this toy that all of a sudden he has to have. And without telling me, he just leaves the fun place and runs away and goes, ah! 
ah, you know, he almost slips on the floor, and I got to go run after him and bring him back. I left the 99 children to find mine, the one, and I bring him back, and I say, buddy, after I'm running after him out of breath as an out-of-shape young dad, this is the fun place. This is where we're playing today. I can't protect you out there if you go and if you stray and you run over there. you got to stay here. This is the fun place. Okay, okay. So we do the same thing, running and jumping on the inflatable hippopotamus, and we're jumping up and down and having a great old time in the fun place. And then he spots, because his mother's brainwashed him, and he's an Iowa State fan, and he runs and sees something at an Iowa State kiosk. And he goes after that, and i got to chase him again and bring him back and say, Caleb Lee. This is where we're playing today. This is where the fun is at. This is the fun place. God has divinely ordained you to play here for the next 10. I didn't actually say that, but this is where God has called you to play for the next 10 minutes so that I can sit down and rest for a second, okay? This is the fun place. It's not the fun and the joy and the excitement. It's not over there. It's here. And it's almost like sometimes in our own lives we believe that lie that life is found somewhere outside of the boundaries that God has set up. And we forget that God has set up himself as the shepherd, as the gate, as the sheep pen for our joy, for our freedom. And that's why the story continues in verse 10. It says, The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. He's not going to go chasing the sheep and bringing them back and saying, This is the fun place. He's going to abandon it. There's a reason God says that there's a gate and there's a fence. And any shepherd will tell you it's not to take away the sheep's freedom, it's to keep you alive. The boundaries are for your protection. So my heart as a father for Caleb isn't to steal his joy by saying, no, you can't leave the play place. My heart is saying, this is where the joy is at. This is where it's safe. If you would play and do life within the boundaries that I set up, things are going to go so much better for you. That's how you find the abundant life. So we find it through the shepherd's protection or we try to live, live, live life our own way. Let's get really practical for a second. For us, it's not the play area. For us, it's saying, God, I know that you've called me to do these things, but I think I got a better idea. I'm going to go live life my own way or listen to another voice. For example, God says, I created this thing called the Sabbath. Have you heard of it? It's where you, every week, I know, every week you take a day off. You stop working. You rest. Why? God said, Oh, man, I got to take a Sabbath. What a drag. God's calling me to spend time with my family and to get filled up and spend time with him and worship every single week. What a drag, God. Thanks for stealing all my fun. He says, no, I created it so that you wouldn't kill yourself. Literally. It's for your joy to fill you up because I care about you. God says, I want you to I want you to worship every single week. Why? Because I created you to be here in community, face-to-face, not, not, not with a computer screen, 
but face-to-face with real, actual other people that you can laugh with and cry with and do life together and have a relationship with. I created you to worship every single week to be here. Parents, so there's no gap between what you say to your kids and what you do. We go to worship every single week and we build the rest of our calendar and our schedule around that. Why? It's how we were created. And I trust the shepherd's voice among all the other voices that say, if you have time, if you get around to it, if you feel like it. God says, I've given you these things for your joy so you can have life. Get centered on me. Tithing, giving your money away. God says, the reason I call you to tithe, not just give money to the church, but live a generous life with your money and possessions, isn't because I want to take all your money and not you not have anything left. God says, it's just that when you make money your God, it makes for a lousy life. I want to give you joy. I want to give you life and freedom. And living your life attached to money and things is going to steal your joy and your freedom. God says, this is the fun place. I want you to experience life. I want you in the boundaries of how I've created you and these gifts I've given you to live a kind of life that's, wow! I want you to experience that on the inside. Not a dead, boring, lifeless religion for an hour a week of going through the motions. There's so much more for you than that. The third and final kind of compare and contrast that Jesus draws up here is he kind of carries this illustration to its fullest extent. If there's any doubt about how your shepherd feels about you, Jesus says this at the end of the story in verse 14. He says, if you're wondering, I'm the good shepherd. That's what this story is about. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says at the end of the day, or at the end of this sermon, he says, you can make me a priority or not. You can learn to listen to my voice and respond or not. But one thing I never want you to doubt is how much I love you, is how much I care about you. I don't know what image that comes to your mind when you think about what a shepherd is like. Some of you think, oh, it's probably like kind of just that kid out there, you know, or a cabbage patch doll, you know, that's cute and chubby. And hey, I got my little slingshot. I'm a little cute shepherd. I want you to think about David for a second. In the Bible, before David was King David, he was a shepherd, if you remember. And one day, David goes and volunteers to fight this giant called Goliath that everybody else is scared of. And he says, I'm not scared of Goliath. And what's his reason why? When lions or wolves would come and attack my sheep, I just killed him. It's long and short of it. I literally killed bears and lions with my bare hands or with a few rocks. So this giant Goliath, (laughs) shepherds in Jesus' day were warriors. Think like Gladiator, Braveheart, you know, the, you know, Incredible Hulk, some combination of all of those, okay? Warriors, not wimps. So when a wolf or a thief or a robber or a bear or a tiger or whatever it is, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, I'm glad we have shepherds, comes and attacks, the only thing standing between those weak, defenseless sheep and their death is a warrior shepherd who's willing to fight for them. And the final choice that you have in your search for abundant life is that you can trust the sacrifice 
of your shepherd, or you can choose to fight alone. And what I mean by fight alone is try to be good enough, try to be religious enough, try to be spiritual enough, try to be smart enough, but here's where it's all going to come crashing down for you because you'll realize very soon that in this life, we are not fighting lions and wolves. There are two things in particular that you will never be able to defeat on your own, that none of us will, and that's our own sin, and that's our own death. So don't get me wrong. When Jesus is speaking here in John chapter 10, he's not saying, I'm the good shepherd that will come along and put my arm around you and encourage you as a nice, cute little lamb and make sure that everything goes well and nice for you in your life. Jesus says, I never promised that you would have an easy life. John chapter 10, the reason Jesus uses this example is because it's about the gospel. It's about Jesus saying, I'm going to literally lay down my life for you. That's how much I love you. And that when people were hearing Jesus teach this the first time, they were probably like, oh, that's a cute little story, Jesus. You're going to lay down your life for the sheep like a shepherd does for his sheep. That's cute. And then a couple years later, as they're watching him suffer on an old Roman cross, crucified, they're going to go, oh. Oh. He meant it. That's how much he loves you. That's the heart of a shepherd for you is to fight off the wolves and the lions of sin and death that stand between you and life, the thing that you crave the most. We have to stay close to the shepherd or we're not going to make it. And I thought I understood the heart of a shepherd and I came across this final little story this part of a documentary that I want to show you about the heart of a shepherd. It's about a guy named Murat, and he moved from the city out of his comfort zone out into the middle of nowhere in Central Asia, and he becomes a shepherd. And there's just a few moments, the few images in here that just grab me every time. And as you watch it, don't think so much about a shepherd and sheep, literally, but think about ourselves as those sheep. <laughs> that are desperate for a shepherd and his heart for them and the way that he loves them and cares for them. Let's take a look. I don't know about you, but sometimes we have those weeks where um, you see images like that of the way that he cares for the sheep and feeling so weak or vulnerable or just in need of a lot of help. <laughs> we all have those kind of weeks. And I feel like God can just speak to us through those images. And I imagine sitting there on the hillside, wherever Jesus is teaching this, after maybe the kind of week that you've had, whether you need healing or you're sick or you're overwhelmed or you need encouragement or you're in pain or you're frustrated or stressed out or any of those things. And Jesus says, hey, everybody, um, I'm the good shepherd. You see the way that this shepherd over here that you see cares for all these sheep? I can be like that for you. And I don't know about you, but I don't read John 10, I don't read Psalm 23 the same anymore because I know that Jesus isn't some wimpy shepherd with a little staff. He's my warrior. He's my savior. And in the same way, I love what Murat said. He said, I purposely choose the sheep that are weak, the ones that are left behind that nobody else wants. 
the ones that are weak or vulnerable, and I, I bring them home, and I care for them, and I nurture them, and I call them my own. I protect them and provide for them. And today, the Good Shepherd, our Savior, says to you, I choose you. I want to show you how to get from where you are to the abundant life that you know you want and you just don't know how to get there. So listen to my voice, stay within my protection and let me fight for you. Let me be your warrior so you can find the joy and the life that Jesus is offering for you so that when you're in your 90s and you're in your final days and your final weeks and somebody comes and says, hey, I'm writing a book, I'm writing an article And I want to ask you, have you had a full, abundant life? You can say, without a doubt. Let me tell you about my shepherd and how it made all the difference. Amen? Let's stand together. And as we do this morning, we're going to... We're going to put that into practice. We're going to just bring the lights down a little bit just so we can focus here this morning. And we're going to just spend some time actually putting this into practice, believe it or not. We're not just going to do it. We're going to talk about it. And um, we're going to practice hearing the shepherd's voice. And so what we're going to do is a couple things. One is we're just going to uh, invite you to just close your eyes and if you feel comfortable, sometimes we kind of do a, an outward expression of an inward posture of our heart. If you feel comfortable, we pray here in a moment just to, to open your hands to God or outstretch them out just to say, God, I'm open to hearing your voice. I want to receive from you. That's why I come to worship, to experience you. And we're going to pray and I'm just going to lead us in that and I'm going to just stop and, and then we'll just listen to God. And after we do that, the second thing that we're going to do that I invite you to pray about is to think about what you hear God saying to you. So the sheep know their shepherd's voice, and so we're constantly asking ourselves, God, what are you saying to me this morning, and how am I going to live that out this week? And so before you leave this morning, the second thing we're going to do is I'm just going to invite you to turn to that person next to you, maybe the person you gave a high five to earlier or whatever, and share with them one thing that you feel like God's telling you this morning. It's not weird. We're all going to do it together. We'll all be weird together. You can share that with each other. Each take turns before you just run out of here. What more important thing could we do today with your entire day than hear the voice of God? So let's pray. God, we're here for you. We want to experience you. We want to hear from you more than we want anything else today. There's nothing more important than hearing what you have to say to us. God, you know exactly what we need today. So we invite you to speak. God, for some of us, we... We're feeling a little discouraged today and we're feeling a little beaten down or frustrated with how life's going. God, would you speak your words of encouragement over us? Speak some life into us today. Refresh us. Renew us. God, for some of us, we're sick. I'm just sensing that there's some illness in the room today and there's some of us that need your healing. And God, you are the great healer. And we invite you to come 
whether it's for us, the person that's standing next to us, or that person we're thinking of right now, God, that needs your healing, we bring them to you right now as the great shepherd to heal them. God, for some of us, we need your wisdom. We have a big decision coming up. We need your guidance. We want to hear your voice very clearly this week. And God, for some of us, we, we're just a little ho-hum these days. We, we kind of hit a plateau. We feel a little stuck. We need a fresh infusion of your passion of your life, of your spirit. We need your desire and your motivation, and we want our heart to break for the things that your heart breaks for. God, move us. God, fill us up. Move us out of complacency and apathy. Fill us up with your spirit today, God. God, I pray that this would be the first of many times this week where we stop and listen to you. God, fill us up with your life and with your joy. Thank you for sending your son to live and die for us and fill us up with your love. God, we love you and we pray all of these things in your name and all God's people said together, amen. 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 So I want to challenge you. Before you leave, uh, we'll kind of keep the music down a little bit low. Just turn to the person next to you right now before you leave and just say, hey, What did you hear God saying to you today? What's one thing you felt like God said to you today at worship? And then you can take off. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.